The GOP field is heating up. Ron DeSantis has entered the race. Donald Trump is still the front runner, and there's a lot of other folks on the backbench. Do they stand a chance, or is it Donald Trump's race to lose? Let's talk about that. Instead of focusing on winning arguments, we're teaching the basic fundamentals of sales and marketing and how we can use them to win in the world of politics, teaching you how to meet people where they're at on the issues they care about. Welcome to The Brian Nichols Show. Well, hey there, folks. Brian Nichols here on The Brian Nichols Show, and thank you for joining us on, of course, another fun-filled episode. I am, as always, your humble host, joining you live from our BNC studios here in lovely Eastern Indiana. And to start things off today, yes, the race for the GOP nomination for 2024 is in fact heating up. And to discuss all that and more, returning to the show, the one, the only, Kenny Cody. Welcome back to The Brian Nichols Show. Hey, Brian. How are you, brother? Thanks for being back on. Look forward to doing this bi-weekly with you. And uh, let's get into some conservative issues and some presidential candidates heading into 2024. Absolutely, bud, because, uh, yeah, things are starting to heat up here. Uh, now, Donald Trump, who was obviously the front runner, and at the point in time that we recorded last week, the only true real front runner who had announced, now he actually has some competition. Not trying to disparage any of the other folks who have already announced, which we're going to dig through today, but, yes, the the big domino has dropped in the, the field of other GOP candidates. Ron DeSantis officially tossing his proverbial hat into the ring and uh, that took place on a Twitter Spaces with Elon Musk here this past week. Didn't really go exactly to plan, eh, Kenny? Not really. Um, you know, I thought it was really an awkward uh, announcement. Not only in like all the glitches and all the technological problems, but I didn't really understand doing the announcement and not like combining it with a rally. Like just doing it purely on Twitter didn't make a lot of sense to me. So if he would have done something like a rally announcement or, you know, what, just like most candidates do, just getting it at a local ordinance in Florida, getting a building in Florida. I mean, I'm sure he would have drew, drew a really big crowd and would have looked really impressive if he would have lost somewhere in Florida and Tallahassee or something like that. Mm-hmm. But to just do it on Twitter space for it to glitch and, Kind of just these softball questions that, you know, no offense to Elon, um, cause he, uh, he's offered a platform to everybody, uh, any GOP candidate or any Democrat candidate to announce just like, kind of like RFK did in the same way that DeSantis did. That's also an original idea. That, that was also a very awkward, uh, argument that a lot of conservatives were making was RFK well, Jr. was the first person to announce their, um, presidential bet on Twitter spaces. Mm-hmm. So it's been, it's kind of, it's been a very, very awkward re- reaction, very awkward reception. I don't think necessarily necessarily DeSantis did bad in his questioning or in, in, in his answers he's providing, but just very, very strange. I, th- I, th- I think that there's such a big Twitter crowd, and I think DeSantis is aware of that. It's all these sort of not never Trumpers. I'm not going to call them never Trumpers, but only DeSantis people like that. They they have this Trump fatigue and they have this idea that we need to move on from Trump. And that's really their only goal. And, and they're trying to, to attach themselves onto DeSantis on Twitter. I think that was a lot of the motivation was there's a very big Twitter presence for Ron DeSantis. And I don't know if there's that much outside of Twitter. And I think probably DeSantis was pretty aware of that. And I think it was going to try to make him look the best, but it failed miserably. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think it would have been that bad if he would have combined uh, the announcement with a rally or combined the announcement with an actual campaign announcement, kind of a lead up. I mean, when it says Ron DeSantis declares for president as the title, it's kind of, 
kind of redundant. It, it kind of takes the surprise out of it. Um, you know, Elon Musk has already said he's for DeSantis. He threw these him these softball questions at him, didn't ask him anything about foreign policy, immigration, or anything else, just basically why he was running. And I, I thought it was kind of boring, to be quite honest, and I don't think the GOP needs boring. The GOP also needs to have an effective communicator. Now, Ron DeSantis, for the most part over the past three years, has really been one of, if not the best governors on the COVID issue. And he did a really good job articulating his stance down in Florida on why he's done the things he's done. But when you saw him on the Twitter spaces, or rather you heard him on the Twitter spaces, everything just felt so canned. And it was like he was literally sitting there reading a script and it, it just didn't feel genuine, right? And going back to what people are starving for right now, they're starving for, for authenticity. They're starving for their politicians and their elected officials to come across as genuine average people and love them or hate them. And despite the fact that he's a multi-billionaire many times over, Donald Trump for some way is able to go through and talk to your average person like he's an average person. You see Trump at a rally and as soon as he wraps up, what does he do? He doesn't go backstage to to run back to his limo or to Trump Force One, but he goes towards the front barricades and starts talking to each individual person, shaking their hands, taking pictures, kissing babies, all that fun stuff. And he comes across as a normal person. And I mean, right now, Kenny, people are starving for that. And Ron just came across more of a calculated politician. And I don't think that's going to play too hot right now when you're looking at an electorate who definitely not just wants something different, but wants someone who feels real. And it's no secret. I've had you in the show here and we've gone through this many a time where from a policy standpoint, I think Ron's done a really good job in Florida. But in terms of getting people excited to take this vision from Florida and put it on a national scale, I just think the Twitter spaces really fell flat and it just did not feel like a true kickoff. I'm hoping that he'll do something different to, to kind of restart his campaign again because it obviously needs to have that kind of shock to the system. And frankly, I think Ron really needs to focus on how to speak to people without sounding like he's a calculated politician. He, I mean, this is what happened to Ted Cruz, right? Back in 2016 is Ted Cruz, despite his conservative bona fides, he would go through and just sound like, you know, he had everything calculated in what the perfect can response would be. And then Trump's just on stage. He's like, you're lying, Ted. And and it just didn't resonate, right? Like Trump was able to take the wind entirely out of his sails. I just got a feeling, man, he's going to be able to do the same thing with uh, with DeSantis. And, and that's where the GOP has changed, in my opinion, Brian. I mean, mm. I don't know if you've ever watched Shane Gillis, the comedian. Have you ever no. heard of him? Um, I've heard of him. He has a whole stuff. special on YouTube. He, he was the guy who got canceled off of SNL. He got hired on oh, SNL. Oh, right, right, right. Fired for a Chinese slur. He made on a podcast making a joke. But he has a stand-up special on YouTube. It's one of the best stand-up specials that I've ever seen. And ironically enough, it's very reflective and one of the best insights that I've seen into the GOP. I, very ironically enough, um, he does a whole stand-up special about how Trump changed the debates. So he tells, tells a joke about... Like when Rand, when uh, one guy says, you know, I'm Republican and I'm for religion. Everybody's like, oh, it's pretty good. Good debate. Oh, I'm against illegal immigration. Also a good point. And then he gets up there and goes, Donald Trump is the spotlights on him. And it goes to him and he goes, Ram Paul is ugly. And everybody just, just starts freaking out. And it, just, it changed the whole tone of the way presidential debates and the way rhetoric works in the GOP now. Now you have the good balance between Trump and Trumpism. Right. So you have a lot of people who adopt Trumpism. I think DeSantis has a little bit of Trumpism with him. But people, going back to the point, people hate 
the whole pre- the whole idea of being presidential and being you know robotic, giving the right political response. And I think if there's going to be somebody that is an alternative to Trump, it needs to be somebody that can balance the two things. I don't think DeSantis is there. It's like you said, he sounds very calculated. He's given the red scripted response. It's, it's kind of like when Chris Christie called out Marco Rubio in the 2016 yep. debates for getting the same answer over and over and over again. And I'm not saying he has to be Chris Christie or he has to be Donald Trump. I, I don't think Donald Trump's ever going to be replicated. But in the same way, I think the Sanders needs to find a good avenue between sounding robotic, sounding establishment. If he is, because he went on Newsmax yesterday for an interview, I think, with Eric Bowling. And he says, would an establishment politician do this? And would an establishment politician send, you know, immigrant, illegal immigrants going over the border to Mar- Martha's Vineyard? And I think there, he has really good points. I don't think Ron is this. I know a lot of Republicans are going to say it, but I don't think Ron is this establishment, Paul Ryan, Mitch McConnell Republican. Like, I don't think he is that. But the way that he is coming off to voters, this whole I'm Ron DeSantis and I am fighting for you and I'm fighting for freedom. This policy shows that you do that, man. But Trump changed the game like he changed everything in the way that he approached his genuineness to the American public and to Republican voters, especially. And regardless of what you do, I'm going to go ahead and be honest with you. Undecided voters don't care about policy. Mm-hmm. And that's an unfortunate circumstance and an unfortunate thing in our American public that that genuinely Americans don't really care about policy that much. It's about how you relay that policy, how you relay your approach to issues. It's why populism is the most popular political approach in American politics is because people can articulate that in the way that what people care about, the issues people care about, we can find solutions to those or provide approaches to those policies and, and those issues that people care about. But in terms of like record and what record really has ever got, got anybody elected to national politics? I mean, look at Barack Obama, who was just a, I think, a two-term senator who had no real accomplishments besides being a community organizer for the Democratic nomination. Look at Donald Trump, who never did anything in politics before being elected. I mean, Bush was a decent governor for Florida, but can you name anything historical that Bush did when he was the governor of Texas? Like, I, 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 I don't can, remember can what Bush name anything historical that he did. <laughs> well, exactly. Like, did he do that much as president either? So, when I think back to what policies people can stand on. For their records, I can't really think of anything, and I, and that's unfortunate. I think as political nerds like me and you are, like we can acknowledge that we hate that part. Like I don't like how policy doesn't matter. Like I'm a policy nerd. I, I have been since I was in college. But DeSantis needs to realize the heat of the moment. Like people don't care about your record, dude. Like I'm sorry, they don't. Like I mean, he can he can have these comebacks and these debate points saying, "Well, Trump did this. I did this. Trump did this. I did this." That's great for a debate. But when it comes to appealing to the American public, you have to find a way to come off genuine and like an everyday man. And that Twitter space, man, I mean, it just sounded like you said he was reading off a movie script. And we've seen how these career politicians get destroyed by Donald Trump. Like he was on a stage with eight or nine other people, people who like John Kasich was a great governor of Ohio. Ted Cruz, one of the most conservative members of the Senate. Ram Paul, personally, my political hero up there on stage with him. And they didn't stand a chance against the dude, man. Like he is an he is a figure that is so cult of personality that he is carrying on after losing an election is still leading every poll by 30 points. I mean, I think we can all acknowledge that the dude is a master when it comes to communication manipulation. 
And I think that if DeSantis wants a chance to nomination, again, I don't think he has one. But if he wants a chance to nomination, he has got to adapt. He has got to find a way to communicate with MAGA and communicate with independent Republican voters in a way that he is not doing so as and hasn't done so as congressman or governor. And I really don't know what the advice is, but he, he has got to quit speaking like a robot because that Twitter space was an absolute disaster. in my opinion. Two things I would I would recommend um, from a sales guy's perspective. And we talked about this when I was on Tim Pool. I've said it many times in the show. Set narratives. Don't respond to narratives, right? That's what Trump does fantastically. He goes out and he'll take whatever question he's been promoted or, or rather asked by a, a you know interviewer or what have you, and he turns the question or rather his response to what he actually wants the point to get across, right? So that's super important, something that Ron, I think, could do a really good job at, but also to not sell features, not sell the, the, the thing itself or the policy itself that Ron has, but rather... Talk about what's that impact to your average person. Tell the story. Articulate in a way that resonates with your average person. If you go in just le- reading off all the, the things that you've done, that's great. But what does that mean for your average person? And if I was Ron DeSantis and I was, you know, or at least te- like coaching Ron DeSantis, I would say, Ron, go after Trump and, and really focus on how he put Fauci in power, how he put Burks in power, how he enabled the CDC and all these quote unquote experts to destroy millions of people's lives over the past three years. Tell that story of the the small business owner whose business was absolutely crushed, the restaurant owner who watched as all their patrons weren't able to, to frequent their restaurant and had to close their doors. Like, Stop just saying this is bad and start talking about the implications of said policy. And I mean, that's just the tip of the iceberg there. But let's do this for the second half of the episode here. We wanted to run through. Now, we will be doing at some point, folks, a a libertarian slash conservative ranking of respective candidates, both for the GOP and for the Democratic Party, which right now it's looking like it's, uh, you know, what, Donald or Donald Trump, uh, Joe Biden, uh, RFK, and Marianne Williamson. So that's going to be a shorter episode. But for the GOP, we've seen over the past few weeks also some other folks toss their hats into the race and also some folks who've already tossed their hats into the race and uh, are definitely long shots, but wanted to go through and let's talk about their chances, but also let's talk about where they would rank in our priorities right now. Not priorities, our, our ranking of a preference that is for actually securing the nomination. Let's start things off here, uh, Kenny. Tim Scott, the uh, senator from South Carolina, he also launched uh, his presidential campaign here over the past week or so. Now, Tim Scott's definitely a long shot, but he is a fundraising machine. What are your thoughts on Tim Scott? I think Tim Scott's a pretty good senator. Um, I think you are looking at the bottom of the barrel when it comes to the GOP in the U.S. Senate. Um, I think this, this U.S. Senate has the worst collection of GOP libertarian populists in the entire nation. I mean, you have people like Holly, you have people like Vance, you have people like Rand Paul, who are very good in my opinion. But then you have people like uh, Mitch McConnell, you have people like Susan Collins, you have others, Lisa Murkowski, that are just these basically just Democrats, to be quite honest with you, when it comes to at least ideology. Um, But Scott's definitely in the upper tier. I mean, in the U.S. Senate, I think he'd be a moderate sort of kind of overlook if he was in the U.S. Congress like he was. But in terms of the U.S. Senate, he's definitely in the top 10 GOP of the GOP caucus when it comes to record. Um, I think what Tim Scott does a really good job at, and this is ultimately what I think he's doing, is he has this optimism about America. He, he came from the bottom and rose to the top. His family was slow. His great grandfather's great grandmother, his ancestors were slaves. He is all the way in the U.S. Senate as a Republican. I mean, that's something that I think can appeal to people. But 
Unfortunately, I don't think he has a very good shot. And I don't think he, I think he knows he doesn't have a good shot between me and you, Brian. I mean, I, th- I think that, I mean, he, like one of his main fundraisers is Bill Haslam from Tennessee. It's, I think it's, it's, it's his vice chair for his entire campaign. Um, I think what Tim Scott's ultimately doing is vying for Trump's VP, VP selection. It's mm. probably what he's going to be doing. I think that Trump knows that he needs a woman or he needs a minority as his VP selection after having a bland white man in 2016 to appeal to independents, to appeal to moderates, to appeal to those suburban moms uh, and appeal to suburbia in general. Um, and I think Scott's a great would be a great choice. Um, I think, he, like I said, his entire campaign isn't America is doomed, America is falling, it's America is great, and mm-hmm. here's how we can make it better. And I think that's a good message. But me, me and my friend Bray Leonard, who hosts, this, hosts the, no, the No Gimmicks podcast, talked about it the other day. I think a lot of Republicans want to hear that the world is burning. So I think that's kind of what, what he's going to struggle with in the GOP nomination. Like, the, America, is it really good right now? Is it? Are we in a good spot in our country? And I don't believe, I, I think if you ask the moderate, the modern libertarian, the modern conservative, and probably the modern independent, is America in a good spot right now? The answer is going to be no. And I think that's where Scott is going to struggle the most is saying that America is great, saying that, that we need to be optimistic about America. While I think all that is true in theory and while I think we're better off than about any other country, I think it's hard to buy when everybody else on the Democratic and Republican side are saying America sucks. Is here, here's how we can make it better. Um, it's going to be hard to buy Tim Scott saying, oh, everything's fine and dandy. Like, that's not going to work. Now, I think yeah. it's a good work for a VP selection going against Kamala Harris or something like that. Be a lot different. Um, but running for the, the the presidential nomination, you have to be a little bit you have to be a little bit pessimistic when it comes to the current state of the country. Well, if you're selling something, right, you have to have a problem that you're trying to address. So if you're just right. saying, hey, you know what? Everything you guys are doing at your company looks like it's pretty darn good. I don't think you need me. Yeah. Well, okay. We don't need exactly. you. So uh, good point yeah. there with Tim Scott. Now, here's a couple names that I had never heard of, or at least I, I didn't know were running. We have Ryan Brinkley. He's a businessman from Texas. And Perry Johnson, um, who is, he actually failed uh, to get on the ballot for the Michigan governor's race in 2022. Also a businessman, um, and he's already running t- uh, TV ads in Iowa. What are your thoughts on Perry Johnson and Ryan Brinkley? I've seen a lot of, ironically enough, more than any other presidential candidate of the lower tier. I've seen Perry Johnson a lot on Twitter, um, mainly because I think he runs promotions on his tweets. Like I think uh-huh. he literally pops up for people that are interested in politics. You'll see his, uh, you'll see his ad or his tweet about. I think he's actually doing a documentary about about being a presidential candidate, which I personally find fascinating. I don't think that's been done since Romney in 2012, so I might actually go on there and watch it. Um, Perry Johnson's a libertarian populist. Um, he's pretty f- uh, far right when it comes to policy. He is very appealing when it comes to speaking. I mean, I think he got third in the straw poll at CPAC, ironically enough. Uh, very, very weird result in terms of that. But I do think that he's at least somewhat interesting. I don't think he has a shot in Hades at getting the nomination. Um, but I do think he may... Uh, propel him to a sort of a national status if he won't if his goal is to run in Michigan. You know, like you said, he didn't make the ballot for the governor of Michigan, but it might propel him into running for Congress. It might propel him into getting some position in the cabinet somewhere. Um, so I think Perry Johnson's great. I mean, in per- terms of policy, especially, and he, he's a very good speaker, comes from a private sector businessman background, kind of similar to what Trump came from in 2015. Um, but I don't think he has a shot, but I do think he's at least somewhat interesting. I've never really heard of him uh, before I read that article, but I kept 
noticing. I'm like, oh yeah, this is the guy that I've seen a lot of promotions for on Twitter. So very interesting. Um, seems like a really good guy. I really want to watch that documentary um, when it comes out, or at least watch some podcast episodes and some YouTube videos of his journey in being a GOP presidential candidate. I think that's at least somewhat interesting, but don't think it's a shot, but I like Barry Johnson decently. Let's talk about some other candidates we have here. Larry Elder, he ran for governor of California back in 2021 against the recall there for Newsom. Did not make it there, um, but he's obviously been a very noted conservative figure for a number of years. Also, former governor of, or no, sorry, former current governor Asa Hutchison there. Um, he, he's running again, yes. right? Yeah, he's running from uh, Arkansas. So uh, what are your thoughts on Larry Elder and Asa Hutchinson? I know we talked about Asa a little bit last episode, but now we're actually giving him some attention. Yeah, Larry's decent, uh, but Larry, again, is just a Trump guy. And I think this is the problem when it comes to a lot of these candidates is there's so many of the same type, like Nikki Haley, Tim Scott, Larry Edel, Trump, and DeSantis, Perry Johnson, Trump, and DeSantis. Hey, hey, while we're at it, let's let's toss Nikki Haley in this as well, because she also announced former governor of South Carolina and a former U.S. ambassador to the U.N. So, yeah, let's just toss her into this uh, mix as well. Yeah. So, so in terms of, I'll go through Larry Elder first. Larry Elder is a great dude, it seems like. But, and, but, it, and I wish he would have got the governor of California 100% over Gavin Newsom. Um, but I think that he's just too much like the others. Like when you have a choice about somebody who has less recognition, less name recognition, less, um, just less political repertoire as, as DeSantis or Trump or anybody else has. They're not going to succeed. I mean, Elder probably gets maybe one or two percent. Maybe he in a national poll, he might get a little bit more from being from California and being a Republican nominee or being a Republican candidate in California. I mean, he might have a chance in the California primary if it comes up that much. I don't think he has a chance, but he might finish third above Haley or somebody. Um, so I don't think he has a chance. But Larry was a great guy. I mean, I, I think I think he even like moderated the uh, LP national debates in 2016 with Gary Johnson, Austin Peterson, and a couple others. So he has some really good policies. As the and has a really good approach to politics, but I don't think he has a chance. Asa Hutchison is one of the biggest, is probably certifiably the worst candidate running in the GOP. Um, same dude who w- wanted to allow transgender surgeries in Arkansas, wanted to allow transgender tra- transgender policy to pass through the Arkansas legislature, would not stand up against transgenderism and the transgender ideology in Arkansas. So he's a joke. I don't think he has a chance. I don't think anybody in the right mind in any state is going to put him within the top 10 when it comes to people finishing um in a GOP presidential caucus or a GOP presidential primary. So I hope after this, he is done for and never heard of from again. Nikki Haley. uh, Haley is, yeah, she's a neocon when it comes to a lot of things. She's not great on foreign policy. She, but I think, I don't know. I have a sort of a soft spot because I think Haley is a very good person. I think she's a very good politician and a very good campaigner. Um, I hope, that she is just trying to vie to maybe get the UN position back or get a VP selection. I don't really think she's running for president. And you've not really seen Trump attack her or Scott that much because I think they all know that they will probably be up for cabinet selections or a VP selection when it comes to 2024. So they're trying to avoid attacking each other. I think Haley was actually the first person to attack the scientists on his record and attack him as just being like Trump and not really being any different than Trump. And if he's no different than Trump, then why are we voting for him in the first place? Um, 
So I think I do think Haley is very good at campaigning towards independence. I think she's very good at campaigning towards suburbia. Um, so I don't think she's necessarily a bad candidate, except when it comes to foreign policy. I think she's decent when it comes to everything else. Foreign policy, she's just, she's just very bad. Um, but I think she, I don't think she has a chance. She probably has the third best chance of anybody in in the race. Um, but I think there's a huge gap between third and second, and even a larger gap between first and second. And so she feels like, like she's running fine. for she feels like she's running for his VP role or Trump's VP role. That kind of feels exactly like her role too. Doing. Her and Scott are, are the same inkling, and I think yeah. that's really the, the question is who's going to get the VP selection. Probably between Scott, Haley, or somebody like Kim Reynolds from Iowa are going to be the three kind of selections, I think the three options for Trump's VP selection. You, you yeah. don't think he's going to look at, uh, what's her name, uh, Lady Down, Kelly, not Kelly Ward, uh, Arizona Carrie governor Lake. candidate, Carrie Lake, thank you. I hope not. Um, I, I think Carolyn's going to run for Senate in Arizona. That's Agreed. my that's my opinion. Probably probably against against that Gallego. I don't want to mispronounce his name. I'll sound racist, but um, or Cinema for the you know he's running for her incumbency. I think that's going to be a, a well. This is a whole other episode, but I think she'll have a decent chance if Cinema runs. So especially since he's taking twenty percent as a as a Democratic incumbent or independent incumbent, and then the, the Democratic nominee and then Lake running. So I think she's going to throw her hat into that race. I think it'd be very dumb of Trump to pick somebody like. Likely as his VP because she lost an election and she's not done nothing but kind of complain about 20, 2024, 2022 in the same way that Trump has about 2020. So I don't think he, she, he'd be wise. He needs to pick somebody the opposite of him yep. or somebody who is at least appealing to the opposite side. But that's another episode. Anyway, Agreed. Um, um, that is fine. Let's do this. The last three. And I would say these last three are the folks that I'm most focused on. And I'm, I'm actually a little more on board with, and that is obviously one being Donald Trump, two being Ron DeSantis, but number three, and, and I've heard this guy on a lot of podcasts recently, and a lot of what he has to say, it perks my ears up. That's Viv, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy. So let's talk about those three. Now I know, let's start off. Vivek is obviously going to be a long shot, right? However, yes. he's doing a really good job of curating earned media by going out, having conversations and sometimes confrontational conversations. Like he basically is the reason that Don Lemon's no longer on CNN. He was over on Chuck Todd and he's doing a really good job of presenting not just an alternative vision, but he is, he's aggressive. He knows how to have these conversations. And I frankly just see the way that he he's been going after Ron DeSantis. He's actually calling out a lot of the things we're calling out now, but he's been doing that for a number of months, right? He's been going through saying, yeah, like I, I every time I go to an event and I speak where Ron is, I've been told by people like, hey, Ron was a little upset that you upstaged him. Uh, you know, that, that kind of conversation, that speaks to, I think, a lot of folks who right now are looking at that Ron DeSantis announcement and being like, ah, it wasn't too hot. Maybe this Vivek guy deserves a second chance. Kenny, what say you? Vivek's great. Um, I, I'm a big fan of Vivek. I'm not going to be. I'm not going to be ashamed away from that. I, th- I think Vivek is a very interesting private sector Republican. I mean, can speak in the private sector, can identify how the elite have kind of bankrupted America, and both in terms of morality and monetarily. Um, you know, we talk about corporations being woke all the time, right? There's probably no, no, nobody better to speak than that than Vivek Ramaswamy when it comes to him actually having uh, participation within the private sector, with him actually having participation within, um, you know. The economics, uh, being, uh, I think his family being immigrants, him working uh, under 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 Trump. I think in some way, I forget what the connection is, but I know he's worked in Republican politics a lot before. This was a big donor, um, so I think he's a very interesting candidate. He is the definition when it comes to me: libertarian populism and right wing populism. Um, 
somebody like Vivek could really have a chance in 2024 or in Ohio when it comes to uh, maybe a governor's race or another Senate race. I think it's going to be a long time uh, before a Senate race opens up again, especially for a congressional run or the governor of Ohio. I think Vivek is kind of setting himself up for that eventually um, or a cabinet nomination or a VP selection, whatever, the same way the others are maybe vying for that. But I think Vivek does a really good job at kind of connecting right wing extremism, um, right wing populism and sort of this moderate appeal of being a minority businessman who is just speaking from a Republican standpoint. Mm -hmm. So I think he's a very good candidate. Again, I don't think he has a has a shot. I think we talked about that before, but I think he creates a good narrative and creates a good perspective on Republican politics that I really look forward to watching on the debate stage. All right, let's go through with the last few minutes we have here. So of the nine candidates, here's my rankings of preference for the GOP right now. I want to hear your rankings, Kenny, as we go through. So my number nine, Asa Hutchinson. Number eight, Nikki Haley. Number seven, uh, Perry Johnson. Six, Ryan Brinkley. And frankly, six and seven could be inter intermingled because I just don't, frankly, know enough about them. Uh, number five, my top five, Tim Scott. Four, Larry Elder. And here's my top three. Third, President Trump, number two, Ron DeSantis, but again, Ron, he's been doing too hot, and number one, I think, Vive I, I like Vivek a lot, I really, really do like Vivek a lot, um, I think he he understands how to to help set narratives, how, how to reframe conversations, to focus on the actual important issues, and he knows how to tackle the media, uh, I just, I, I'm really impressed with, with the what I've seen from him, and frankly, every time he goes out, I, I get more and more impressed, so that's my top Rankings, number one, Vivek Ramaswamy, two, Ron DeSantis, three, Donald Trump, four, Larry Elder, five, Tim Scott, and then the uh, the rest of the nine filling in thereafter. Kenny, what's your rankings look like? So our some of our bottoms are probably the same. Um, number said. nine is definitely Asa Hutchinson. He's the absolute worst. I, I can't wait till he drops out so I can stop on his grave. Um, Binkley's number eight, uh, just because I don't really know who he is. Can, Kenny, uh, did, did, did Asa Hutchinson's family have a feud with your family at some point in time or something? No, no he just <laughs> he, him just going to Tucker Carlson and embarrass the GOP is something yeah. that's good enough for me to really despise. Um, and I think it's a joke. He's running for president. Just, just he's just trying to get an MSNBC MSNBC slot like Adam Kinglinger did more than likely. Yep. Um, Binkley number eight probably. Um, I don't know. I, I know literally nothing about the dude. Um, he could be good. He could be bad. I, I don't mean this in a bad way, Brian, but when you see me the article, that's literally the first time that I've ever heard his name. I thought he might have been a, like a random congressman or a random GOP nominee. So putting him at number eight, I, I, the, the unknown is better than the hated. So that's why I put him above Hutchinson. Um, number seven, Elder probably. It's only because I think he is just not unique. And I think that's the worst quality to have in a presidential candidate is that he is not unique and he doesn't stand out. He is fine. Let me, let me address that. He's a good guy and a good, really good on policy, really good on libertarian politics, especially, but putting him there because I think it's just a waste of time. Um, number six is Haley. Uh, again, I think she's decent at appealing to suburbia, a decent at appealing to independence, decent at appealing to suburban white moms, but I don't think she's going to be the nominee, and I think she's probably vying for a VP spot. Number five, Johnson, just because I really, just got uh, Perry Johnson, just because I really admire what he's doing, I think having a first-hand account of what it's like to be a presidential candidate in the same way that 2012, uh, Mitt Romney did it, I think it, it would be a little bit more, a lot better on social media and YouTube as a reflection instead of a purchase documentary on HBO. I think Johnson's giving a first-hand look as what it's like to run as a president, presidential candidate. I think it's a great thing, and that's why I'm just giving him that credit, putting him at number five. Number four, Tim Scott. 
Again, I think he is vying for the VP slot. I do think ultimately, even though I disagree with it in terms of the current approach, I do think it's good to have a candidate that brags about America because we hear so much about hating America from the Democratic left and the progressive left and even from some, from some moderate Republicans. So I'm going to give him that credit. I think Tim Scott's a really good guy, really good guy loves America. So I'm going to put him at number four. Uh, number three, I'm going to put DeSantis. Um, personally, even though I really like Ron, uh, he's the only presidential candidate that I've actually met of this group. Um, and I really do like Ron a lot. And I don't mean to put him there as a knock on him. I just think, again, he's wasting his political career. I hate to say that, but I think Trump destroys careers. And I, and unfortunately, I think he's made a grave mistake in running. I've said that before. Um, I do think tr- that it's good that Trump's going to have some sort of competition for 2024. It's only going to sharpen the iron regardless of who our nominee is. It's always good for debate and discourse to be at the forefront of the conversation. So I give him credit for that. And I really like Ron there on his policy and his approach to, to COVID, his approach and how he's handled Florida. He is great, um, but I'm putting him in number three slot because I think it's a huge mistake in running in the first place. Number two is Vivek, without, without a doubt. I'm with you on that. Um, I think your number one was Vivek, but my, my number my number two is definitely Vivek Ramaswamy. Uh, really good at giving that private sector experience, speaking from being a non-participant participant, if that makes sense, in Republican politics. Uh, gives a really good perspective. I really look forward to him pushing even Trump a little bit more further right and also pushing DeSantis a little bit more further right when it comes to economics and that approach to cultural Marxism. I think it's a really good thing that Ramaswamy does. And number one, of course, I think that it's no secret Donald Trump is my is my number one. Uh, I think that we have a really good ch- chance to 2024 solely because of, of removing those ad, those uh, universal mail-in ballots, removing COVID from the from the spectrum and having the economy be in a very bad place as it is currently. Uh, the weakness of an incumbent and a rematch of 2024 is kind of what I want to see and giving Trump a fair shot. Um, I think he has a really good chance. Um, and I think the party kind of needs to unite behind him. Um, I know it's not going to, especially with these nine candidates in the race. And I look forward to seeing how the policy conversation sort of shifts when these nine people are on the debate stage. Already nine candidates. Whew, it's just, uh, just it, it's already starting off here. And we're already, you know, we're only in May of 2023. I'm <laughs> curious to see how many we end up with. But uh, Kenny, we're going to continue this conversation uh, for sure. And folks, by the way, if you missed last week's conversation where we really dug deep into where Ron DeSantis versus Trump boils down, in my opinion, down to the COVID issue. So if you missed that episode, well, please head over to check it out. It's over at briannicholshow.com. Or if you're joining us here on the YouTubes, it's going to be popping up right about here. So go make sure you hit the, the that button in the middle there and it'll bring you to that episode. And uh, yeah, that, that episode been like going crazy, uh, both here on YouTube, but also in the podcast downloads. So you guys must really like the conversation about Trump versus DeSantis. Uh, and, and with that being said, also, folks, we want to hear your rankings. What are your rankings for the nine current uh, announced candidates here for the GOP? Are they similar to Kenny's and mine or they look a little different? Well, go ahead in the comments. Go ahead, list your uh, top nine or I mean, go, go top five, whatever you want for your, your candidates. We want to hear that conversation continued below. And uh, also, folks, if you have not had the chance yet, well, please go ahead and follow yours truly as well as follow Kenny over on social media. You can find me at B Nichols Liberty, Twitter and Facebook. Kenny, where can folks go ahead and find you? 
You can find me at Katie Cody TN right down here in the little name bar. You can find me on Muckrack where all my articles are archived. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, just under my uh, my surname here on uh, Kenny Cody on either of those platforms. And just be looking at me put out my articles. I put out an article about, uh, like I said, Brown was saying last week on uh, Trump is still still unifies the GOP and still embodies the GOP. Uh, look forward probably to writing another article by the end of this, well, well by the start of next month. And uh, just be looking for out, out on me and Brian's a weekly little appearance here. Uh, I've been looking out for my articles coming out and some big things coming in the future. Awesome stuff. Kenny, thank you for joining us. And folks, if you got some value from today's episode, you know the drill. Please go ahead, give it a share. When you do, give us both a tag. And also, if you want to help support the show as we grow, you can go ahead and support us at briannicholsshow.com forward slash support. Give us a one-time donation or become a recurring donor. And by the way, we should be having subscriptions available sometime soon here on Twitter. So if you want to go ahead and support the show as we air full episodes in their entirety on twitter.com, well, I would greatly appreciate it as it helps us have amazing conversations like this and also keep the lights on to be frank. So with that being said, thank you again for joining us and be sure to tune in to next week. We have some awesome conversations lined up there. I'll make sure I see you guys next week. With that being said, Brian Nichols signing off here on the Brian Nichols Show for Kenny Cody. We'll see you later. Thanks for listening to The Brian Nichols Show. Find more episodes at briannicholsshow.com.